Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 18th of March, 2018. I hope everything's going okay for most of you out there. I'm sure it's not, actually. We all have our ups and downs. No one is excused of that. And in these days, too, things seem to get more and more complicated as the whole system goes through its next unfolding, you might say, dropping away the old stages of the rocket and bringing in the new one. And we're all being trained constantly to update ourselves and update the equipment you work with and everything else. It's quite interesting to stand back and just look at it all. And sometimes it's pretty shocking as well. But remember, too, as I go through all the the crises I go through, too, I have a lot of them as well, that you could also help me tick along here by keeping donations coming in to the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can buy the books, remember, and discs at the website, too, and there's different ways of paying for it. But the main thing today is that I was thinking, during the week, I do that once in a while, I was thinking that just looking at all the stuff is called news today, which really is bizarre. Come on, it's bizarre. Again, if you are getting fed this stuff through television, it's very interesting. that And I know this too from all the countless studies I've done over my entire lifetime and probably before I was born, that through updates from radio, television, and etc., and now it's the internet as well, they can really, really alter all of society and guide all of it along certain paths. That's how things really work for those who haven't figured it out yet. And, and, and really, it's an incredible, efficient tool, especially the television. has had so much acclaim from the top globalists, basically, over the years, and the United Nations, too, as they put forward different parts of their agendas on how to train the next crop of youngsters to grow up into the planned society of the future. And it, it, it really is incredible in how precise it's put forth and implemented and people don't even realize they're being brainwashed all the time. That's what it is. After all, if you were living in a true, honest, open society, you would have all knowledge of any particular topic. It wouldn't just be spun knowledge and selected knowledge and so on. It would be all of it available to you for you to choose and make your own mind up. But the last thing they want at the top in any country is for you to make your own mind up. And they're rather arrogant about it today. They're nasty about it, in fact. When you say something that's not quite politically correct, and it's going to get an awful lot worse. I used to study the old Soviet system because it was fascinating to realize you, know, you had this this big, big chunk of the world in the Soviet bloc countries that were copying something or following something called communism and Marxism and so on, and it, it affected so many pe- millions of people. It, it, it caused the deaths of millions of people, too. But it, it really was the epitome of how sides can be created. That's what I really learned. And made to go at each other so so much and for so long as well. A whole generation through the Cold War after the, the Second World War. And people think, well, that was all over. And we're now back to the old system of, <laughs> what would you call it, free markets or capitalism? Which was never free, of course, any more than you're free. And that's the truth of it, too. And I remember, too, them talking about, oh, don't, don't worry. And it was Gorbachev said it when he was still the head of the Soviet Union. He says, don't, he says, don't think that communism is dead. He says, you're going to hear about it being dead, but it's not. He said, we're moving into the, uh, into the next phase of it, global, basically. And he knew what he was talking about because the real communists were all outside of the Soviet Union. And they've been training a whole generation, even through Oxford and Eton in, in England, and the same in the States as well, in the top universities. A, a whole generation was reared in what they, now, they then changed the term into, well, either Marxism, they still copied that or used that, but they also used the term Trotskyism. It sounded more gentler, even though Trotsky was a fiend himself. But uh, reality has got nothing to do with belief systems, and you find that these characters were were really lauded in universities. And it's interesting to get the take on it from people like Peter Hitchens, 
the brother of Christopher Hitchens. Everybody knows Christopher Hitchens because he was so well publicized for the far left. But his brother, Peter, also was, came out of university in England as a Trotskyist as well, ready for revolution, he said to himself, like physical revolution. And even when I was growing up, I used to wonder why on earth the countries would, why would they? It didn't make sense to me. If you had to defend your country or your system like they did during World War II, supposedly, even though it was a bit of a fraud too, at least that, that what's happened afterwards, after the wars, but, but the thing is, def- defend our culture and our system and all the rest of it. Why would you allow all that time before World War II, through World War II and after it, why would you allow a system that had already proven where it's supposed to go by eliminating supposedly the powerful and the upper crust and in most of the middle class as well. That was a big boast of Lenin and Trotsky as well. We'd wiped out a whole middle class. He says, oh. But that, that was to happen across the whole of Europe. Why would you allow them to come into your universities and teach this as professors? It didn't make any sense. Because it wasn't democratic. It was their way or no way. And... The Soviet system shows you that too with, with the, the bottomless pits that they kept uh, opening up at the beginning to bury all the people that were slaughtered. And it's, it's no exaggeration. They have the, you have the Katyn instance and other ones as well across the whole Soviet system. Bulgaria had it too. Tremendous documentaries of the sadness of survivors who went through that whole period and watched their friends die and their members of their families die and often they were almost dead themselves. It was not what you call a democratic live-and-let-live system. And yet here it is, being taught for years in, in, in universities. Now, let's get it straight. The, the Soviet system, the communist system, and the Soviet system wouldn't have taken off, well, off at all, would never have happened without the financing and the training of people, in, especially the states, who flooded over, and it's well documented where they came from, who trained them and went over as an army, basically, into the Soviet system to create the Soviet system or the Bolshevik system. Well, well financed that you wouldn't believe. And even after it was up and running, as it is the communist system, the aid systems from the West, feeding it, clothing it and so on, right up into World War II and through World War II, it's phenomenal. It would never have survived. And even towards the end, it was had to import most of its grain. Canada and the U.S. were always bidding, competing for the bids to get their grain contracts, massive contracts, right up until the very end of it. So which again makes you wonder, why would you feed people who supposedly were ready to blow you out of this, you know, of existence, and you were ready to blow them as well? And it's only then you catch on that there's different realities on the go at the same time. Why would elite, as I say, ever, ever have possibly risked getting slaughtered? Oh, you come into our country, have all your mass meetings in our country and teach our students to to be radical and overthrow everything. Why would you allow that to happen? We make all these jokes about the people who are inbred elitists in in the UK and elsewhere. And a lot of countries, it's very true. A lot of countries, actually. But they're not stupid. And certainly, power always hires the best minds intellectual minds to, to manage their affairs for them. When they hire people for security and keep them up on the world and events and so on to keep them safe, they're not stupid. So therefore, they were allowed to bring all these people in, knowing it would only go so far. And then you go into all the other writings, two of Lord Alfred Milner, and who helped, well, actually his group were really responsible for pushing and consolidating what they called the British Empire into their big mandate and agenda. And he used, I think it was Lionel Curtis and other ones too, in the All Souls College, that's where they recruited a lot of them in England, for their kindergarten team where he sent them across the world to manage the affairs. And they were, they were given appointments to rule countries, even in Africa, within Africa and places like that in India. And they talked about creating world wars to, to amalgamate the whole country into their own global system tire the people out, you can bankrupt the people too with endless wars and you could, you could then come in with your big plan for a world governmental system. They passed basically the whole agenda onto the US eventually because Britain was bankrupt with all these wars. When only a small elite truly, including the Milners and all the rest, who became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they became awfully, awfully wealthy, this private group. 
and they created the Council on Foreign Relations in the States, and they ran it then from then on. It's still the same today. The headquarters really might be based in London, but most of the, the work and planning is done through institutions inside this Council on Foreign Relations inside the US and Canada. And they keep changing their names a little bit here and there when the public get to know more and more about them, they, they change their names. But it's the same group, and they also have many of their members working as politicians inside the European Union. So they have the EU Council on Foreign Relations, or Royal Institute for International Affairs, without the Royal Partner, European Institute for International Affairs. It's all the same group, and they have ones for the Far East as well. A big long-term plan, a big long-term plan agenda. As I say, now why would they use the communist techniques, including everything at United Nations, by the way? And this group set up the United Nations, for those who don't know it. (laughs) They set up the World Bank, and they run it, this private group, and, and these banks are private. And they set up the IMF, all private, and the WTO, private. This little world court there, this star chamber court, who decides who can trade and who can't, etc. Very secretive. And we take this as normal because we're taught it's normal. They were dominated by these secret organizations and societies. It's very much like the Freemasons. So the Freemasons say we're not a secret society, we're a society with secrets. Well, it's the same thing with, with the Royal for International Affairs. In fact, you'll find in the writings of Lord Cecil Rhodes, who founded his group, the Rhodes Foundation, eventually came out of it. But his own group too, they helped take over South Africa and created Rhodesia and took the gold mines and the diamond mines and so on, along with the, the different companies that were already there. Rhodes himself said, we have to form the society using the, the Jesuit techniques. And if you understand what they are, it was the same techniques the Illuminati took from the Jesuit trading as well. Because the Jesuit order, you have to have a, a kind of mentor, an older person who's in the order. You're initiated into it. You give your secrets up and your doubts and your fears to, to your mentor, basically. And in the Jesuit order, the point of it is not for blackmail. The point of it is that you become a better person when you're helped through all the problems that you actually have by confessing. With the Illuminati order, which they created, Weishaupt created, or basically supposedly created, I'm sure it was on the go before it, they copied that technique, but in order to blackmail and push their operatives and that's the same today, up to the skull and bones, you do the same kind of thing, that you give all your data out to a confident, and of course they have that on record from then on, and they use it against you. So it's not to help you along that way, although it'll appear that way, the way they put it across to a, to a candidate. And often the candidate won't really figure it out until much, much later. In fact, as I say, it's so that you can, if you were, went off and threatened to go off and your, your, your own, do your own thing, or even expose anything, you'd be blackmailed and ruined. So anyway, that's what they mean, when, and that's what Cecil Rhodes meant too when he talked about the copied on the Jesuit technique of confession, etc. And they would, give, they would mentor their candidates and they'd really feel they really belonged, really, really belonged. A lot more to it, of course, than, than just this brief little thing here. But the thing is, Cecil Rhodes did talk about the global empire, that, that how it would take the world over, basically, and that, that they themselves, those who created this system, this globalist system, which should have the right to manage the world and all the wealth of the world and all of the resources of the world and also the politics of the world. They'd manage all of it, a natural elite. When you really look at the communist system, it isn't much different from that. Under the rhetoric of the people's this and the people's that, with a class system you saw in the Soviet system, and they definitely had an incredible class system from the very get-go. Using science, supposedly, here's the key, using science, or the cover of science, they could then say why they had this division of labor and why you should be down at the bottom digging, digging up the fields there with your little spade, and why they could separate men and women and even put them all to work. They could double the workforce. And that's, of course, that's why they also brought women into the workforce in, in Europe and in Britain, was to double the workforce and to double the taxation and everything else too. Not to free folk up. How does work free you? <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> the Soviet system had an incredible class system, and pretty well every ex-spy who defected to the West, who wrote anything about it at all, and even the ones who had little articles in the newspapers about them, they all said the same thing. They didn't defect 
from the Soviet system because of the Soviet system so much. Because, not, not, for, not for a wealth reason, there's, they had a comparative status as civil servants, high civil servants, or bureaucrats, as the West did, living with the same level of luxury and income, with no lack of the same goods, access to the same goods that everybody in the West at that level would have too. It was for different reasons they would defect. It wasn't for, for material reasons at all. Whereas the people at the bottom in the Soviet Union all had the same, same, same standardized everything pretty well. Really amazing. Uh, there's quite a few good documentaries come out of there since. Here's the key to everything. Going back to, for instance, the old British Empire system, Lord Alfred Milner Group. They had different names, by the way, initially. And, and even Winston Churchill knew there was something going on when he was in Parliament. It took him a while to realize who was behind it all. It was so secretive. Didn't even have to catch a name for a while, you see. I've got some of their books here, because they did have world meetings under different guises. And it isn't until you look at who financed the meetings and paid for it, most of it, and who published the books of the minutes of the meetings. It was always the Rockefeller Foundation who did it, and the brother, Rockefeller brothers. Quite amazing, really, even from the early days in the 20s and 30s. So anyway, you get the clues there. And they plan the future and plan the world. And they loved to look at the communist system first. They studied it intensely. They called it the second great experiment, the first being the United States. Could people in the U.S. be allowed to be free? Could they handle freedom? Because freedom would take personal responsibility. That was the big experiment of the U.S. If not, they would be taken over quietly by, the, by basically a society originating from the founders. They would watch it for a few generations and then take it over if they found, or they claimed that they found, <laughs> that, it, that the people couldn't manage freedom. The same thing as the British system, remember. And the, the guys who, who came in eventually, right up in, into Woodrow Wilson's day and, and so on, and they were all members of this group. In fact, Woodrow Wilson's contact for the group, his main contact was Lord Grey. And getting back to what we're talking about here is the experiment could either succeed or fail. What do you think happened? Hmm? But what you'll find too, the group, the Milner group, that watched all of this and became the Royal for International Affairs, Dash Council for Foreign Relations, also looked at the Nazi system for a while. Remember, Hitler was Time Man of the Year, I think twice, I think, in the 30s. Because they were fascinated by order and society. Order, order, order. You had the Soviet order system, and you had the German Nazi socialist system, both socialists, by the way. One was international socialist, supposedly, although it was, the Soviet Union was really, <laughs> and the Russian system was really ultra-nationalist. And you had the, the, the German nationalist system. And many reasons brought, in fact, Hitler would never come in if it hadn't been for the massive punishment after World War I. And he would never have got the people to back him up either if it wasn't for what happened by those who took over the entire industry of money and, and entertainment until they literally... And, and we saw this in Sin Cities, for instance, put up by the CBC Canada. Very good documentary series on the Sin Cities of the 20s and 30s. And, and at Paris and Berlin and uh, Shanghai. This is where you always get to with the so-called liberated system when you're going down the tubes financially but you're free sexually, and they push that instead of money and so on. And two massive depressions in the 20s, etc. They had all these folk rushing into the cities to try to get food or work, and lots of them, male and female, became prostitutes and, and so on. All kinds, too. It's an incredible documentary. What to do with technique of control. Anyway, it was bringing the countries down so low, and the cultures, and of course you have VD and abortions and all the rest of it skyrocketing, that eventually, and drugs too, they always go together. Uh, therefore, uh, you, you, people will, will want some kind of order to come back in, and so they get a strong man in, and that's what happens. Happens every time. Plato talked about to an extent too, what happens after this, this big socialistic system, leads to communism, leads to totalitarianism, and then re rebellion against it, and so on and so on. It's a constant cycle. And th those who rule the world, and we are ruled in the world, 
they, they know all this stuff. They, they, they bring in all the top professors in their different fields to discuss these things at lots and lots of meetings for your, before you were born, through your life, and then after you're dead. They'll still be doing the same kind of thing. That's how the world is planned and how it's ruled. But as I say, I was thinking about all this just through the week. As your mind just flutters away in between all the different crises that you get hit with. And I looked through the media and I thought, if folk could understand what's really going on, even what they're seeing in the media, it might make a big difference for them personally, for you, not for the mass people. I, I really don't believe that you can compete with the agencies that also control all your education and indoctrination for every generation. So with oh, thousands of people working at the high, high levels, designing their toolkits for teachers on different things, how to implement this and implement that, how we turn Johnny into whatever, and you can't compete with that. Of course you can't. And you can't compete with the entertainment industry too, which tucks everything, this PC updated, into movies and made for TV this and TV that. It's all over the place. You see, people can't sit back. I can study anything as I'm watching it, on, even through an, a, a entertainment. I'm still studying it, and I'm aware of it slipped in. And it's, it's astonishing when you're aware to see how much has slipped in per, per, per movie, for instance. But, but I don't have television, so I don't get my daily updating on what's permissible, what isn't permissible, because they're always changing it, of course. You're not allowed to really criticize certain things that were taboo not so long ago. And again... It's interesting. I used to think about this too, and I gave talks many, many years ago on ancient religions and things that are poo-pooed by those who believe they're enlightened under the guise of science again, like the communists who always say, well, science and secular humanism should rule the world, and then they go and tell you why they should rule you, you see. Why they should, not, not you should rule you, but they should rule you. <laughs> That's how it works. But I was thinking about all of that, and it's fascinating, as I say, to watch it working on so many people. It's a rather sad, too. I remember I was on a show in the 90s, and at the time, I think it was... Some movies give me other ideas from the ones that are intended to push on you, which is mainly, you're fighting something. And they always give you the cause to fight against, which is often the wrong cause, too, by the way. And they also tell you who's the good guys and who's the bad people. And they'll put out the words of the bad people, all the things... Uh, of the who, whichever group they're going to demonize and they want you to demonize. It's quite, it's so repetitive, it's just astonishing. But a long time ago in the 90s, there was, there was a prophecy movies, and there was one or two or three of them. They had that actor, Christopher Walken. In the third movie, I think it was, you have this Lucifer character, a big, who assembles himself again, who'd been, I don't, I don't know, it's a limbo state, I don't know what it is, for a long time, and somehow he got back together. But he was on top of like a mountain or a pyramid of bodies. And what went through my mind then is how many generations, countless generations, have been born, who've lived, often in hell of a conditions, squalid conditions, poverty galore, across the planet, including the so-called first world countries, by the way. The recent prosperity is more through borrowing, I think, and having credit cards than, than actual financial reward for working, I think, to be honest with you. I really do think that. Anyway, I, I, it was the, how many how many generations have lived in the, and been sent off to wars and fight for things that get slaughtered by the millions for systems that lied to them. I mean, if you went back into the past, for instance, today, in Britain, or France, or even Germany, in all these countries, and if you could possibly go back and prove to the people before war, previous wars, what would happen to them eventually, do you think they'd have gone off and fought at all? Do you really think they would have? If you could show to them, they'd give it another generation after all, and their children or grandchildren would give it all away, and wouldn't even notice it disappearing. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You're not fighting for the reasons you're told you're fighting. And often they're very, very different from what you're told. And the outcome always is. But certain people are benefited from it, and do benefit from it, and mightily so, for that matter. But you, you see this big, big culling of populations. And I've studied this too from different university studies they've done over years. We actually go through 
the effects of wartime on the domestic populations, the ones who are not over the, over there, whoever there is fighting. And they have all these studies on crime dropping, for instance. When it's a real cause, people are, are taught that they're fighting for their very, very existence. And they give up all their rights to be under this totalitarian rule, as they did in Britain. And as the member of the Green Party said quite a few years back, a woman, I don't know who she was, which is leader at the time, she said it'd be so great if we could bring it back to the Blitz and get people to obey authority and do what they're told, and, and they wouldn't even grumble about it, they would just get on with it and live in austerity. If you could just recreate that, those same conditions. Because she was, see, they know all this stuff at the top. And they can bring in poverty and obedience. And they don't have all these other problems breaking out in, at that time. The studies and, and all the different crimes uh, studies and different types of crime were drastically reduced during times of war. Isn't that quite amazing how we're studied like that too? I mean, for all the folk who are doing the fighting and dying haven't a clue that they're being studied like that back home. For other other reasons, or even for, for, for the, the post-war reasons too, which they don't even think of if you're in the front lines. You don't know if you're going to have a, a, a post-war for yourself. That's how bad it is, really, with, with, with intensive study for all these special groups that study us minutely, like some little bug, like an, an ant in the anthill, basically. But in, as I say, in the prophecy, I saw that's the idea that came into my mind. Countless generations, born, layers and layers upon them, born, lived, but their entire life long, none of them had a clue, very few would have a clue, of what really was going on. Really. They would believe they did. That's true. They would believe they knew what was going on, because they were told by people in positions of authority. And they would believe it. Why not? Because you're, you, shouldn't, you can't live paranoid your whole life. You're not born paranoid. And you do, or they used to expect your parents, for instance, your immediate relatives and so on, to warn you of things. Like any other mammal, they warn their offspring was dangerous to them. We have an entirely different system today, where authorities bypassed parental input, or even local elder input, until those at the top are managing us so well indeed. Bertrand Russell said it. He, he was one of the biggest players in this, along with the Macy Group, Frankfurt School, and so on. They all worked together to create a culture post-World War right through uh, into the 21st century. You, a lot of what you're living through today, step by step, was planned minutely, actually, by these groups and these people, like Bertrand Russell. And they were given all this incredible f- backing and financing, and they were given a stage to exposit their stuff upon the world. And they got it. But they're quite open about where they were taking it all. How it would change all the mores and morals of sexuality. How they used to, as Russell said, we used to think we'd have to take the children from the parents. And the state would rear them because the parents would be contaminated with old-fashioned ideas, meaning normal ideas. And the state would bring them up instead and give all their values to them. But then they realized through and, and that they got the children young enough, they could still leave the financial rearing of the children, just the cost of, of, of paying for having the child, and the cost of that child to the parents. But the state could still give them their indoctrination, and that's exactly what they've done. It's amazing to, to, to read this stuff and, and live through an era when you watch it all happening, all this stuff. It's quite fascinating. When most folk around you will think that life is somehow stumbling along and evolving all by itself. It's really fascinating. It fascinates me. Most folk might not care. Other folk are doing pretty well financially, and they don't care either what's happening to other people or where it's all going. Why They don't feel any indignation at all. And the reason that we allow the horror to come along every so often is because people just give up being indignant about things. That's why it happens. The old saying that the reason that evil triumphs is because good men and, and women will do nothing, basically. But it's very, very true. Most folk today are so mind-bombed with distractions and entertainments of all kinds that you could never, ever have imagined 40, 50 years ago. It was heavy enough then, but it's a lot worse now. 
it's so easy to shape everything. Now, getting back to what I was saying about how we live today, how, how, how we've been shaped to live today, and we have been shaped. Every, everything that happens is shaped that way, by the way. There's articles I've got from the 80s and 90s studies by different departments, including defense departments, of futuristic looks at the world if they started wars across the Middle East or Africa and how how would they cope with mass immigration? Could they even help immigration flood into the... All this stuff that's happening today was, was talked about and all the contingency plans and how to even make it happen way back in the 70s and 80s. In the 70s, I, I can remember the Rockefellers prattling on about the same kind of thing. The techniques would arrive, and Brzezinski said it too, of communication uh, that would revolutionize society. And they're talking about the internet and so on. But also they, they mentioned that there'd be mass, mass movements of peoples across the whole world of mass migrations. And you think it's all happening just because of the wars you're having, etc. You have no idea of much work goes in and teaching goes in and directing immigrants and migrants of how to do things, where they have to go, etc. by thousands of agencies across the planet, all working down below like a pyramid at the top, a pyramid head at the top, I should say. That's how the whole society works. It's all coordinated. <laughs> Beginning back even to the, the whole sexuality thing, they had, they had discussions about this in the 1930s, even the 1920s, in fact, with the genetic societies into the 30s, and how they could possibly bring down the, the population. It started long before that on the first world countries, to bring them down first before anybody else. Isn't that rather odd, you'd think? Huh? Because their the, the birth rate it wasn't skyrocketing like, like the third world countries. This wasn't happening. But they, they experimented all the first world countries first. And H.G. Wells talked about it in the late 1800s, as he also preached about free love. That was part of the, the new socialist communist system they'd bring in. And yet people back then would never think of H.G. Wells as being a communist because he worked for the elite, which tells you something else, doesn't it? That the whole idea of the big experiment of communism was the brainchild of those who already ruled the world and they ruled capitalism. That's a fact. But yeah, H.G. Wells talked about it and free love, etc., etc. And he had some odd ideas himself, by the way, about uh, that, that kind of area. But anyway, he was well padded, you might say, with uh, the big societies behind him and the Fabian Society that had, uh, was funded by the Astor family. Multi, actually, in today's terms, would be multi-billionaires many times over. And they financed it, and they financed the so-called far left along the, the, the communist lines, uh, which would suit them fine. With an ordered society, the capitalists can thrive like you wouldn't believe. Having a big, big machine, a layer of, of socialistic bureaucrats running and agencies running the people down below, minutely, every part of their lives. And Charles Galton Darwin talked about it too, in his book, The Next Million Years. Isn't it amazing too, Charles Darwin even talked about who are the best people to rule over Africa and for, for the work, to get people to work harder and to get the most profit of Africa. And he said, well, bring the Chinese and it's all happening today. You think you're living through a stumbling down through time thing? No, you're not. <laughs> it's all planned that way. Read your books. But again, there's nothing you can't do if you give sex the prime seat, you might say. I hate to use the term seat these days on the throne, to rule over the people. In the movie Idiocracy, it wasn't just a comedy. It was an awfully good comedy, by the way. And yet, even when they made it, they were always past a lot of, of, of things that were laughing at back then, because it was already introduced. And the whole premise of Idiocracy, of course, which you got to see, was eventually the people who had the higher qualifications wouldn't be breeding at all, they'd be postponing it to get higher jobs and more money, etc. And eventually the market was collapsed, and by that time they were too old to even breed. But down through time, everything went kaput, finished. The people lived in the future with broken... That's amazing, actually, they showed you the broken bridges and so on. There's a scene in the Diocracy where when the guy is wakes up in the future, it's an army experiment, supposedly, and he didn't know where he was, or he thought he was going to be maybe 10 years down the road, or maybe even one or two years. It was actually 500 years in the future. And he went into a hospital, he stumbled into a hospital, 
And then he was trying to figure out where He looked out the window and, he, and you could see these flyovers And the cars coming along them And part of the, this over this, this flyover bridge was, was bust And one car after the other was just dropping over the edge Like it was normal Nothing was getting repaired And that was, that was the future Well, we're, we're there I'll even put up the articles to do with It was that, that one with, with Florida there where they put up a bridge over, uh, I think it was a six-lane highway, and it was put up, rushed up fast in some super new construction method, blah, 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 blah. And uh, there's a lot more to it, even right down to even... It was so politicized as who, as who would design it, etc., because nothing is straightforward anymore, and they have to politicize and say who who's designed it, and you know where it all goes. But anyway, and pulling all that off the Internet, and they have been doing that since this bridge fell down. I think two or three days after they put the thing up, and it killed people. And you look at this design, and you look at all the different, and you say, this is incredible, this, this design. It's just no sense at all. And other engineers across the world are looking and say, what on earth? How did this even get past? It defied all logic. And it also, supposedly, the other part, a big PR thing, Never mind the cost of this thing, it got grants from the federal government, from the states, and from the whole bunch of other different departments to do with everything, you know. I don't even go there, but the fact is it did. The thing really shouldn't, shouldn't even have been, it should have been, it should, if it was a drawing, it should have been for a cartoon. Because in practicality, everybody agrees it was completely ridiculous. And what they did too, they put resin in to, to the concrete. This new, oh, here's a new idea. Rather than use steel rebar, let's use Resin ones, you know, fiberglass huh, instead. Okay. What flexes and what doesn't? Well, the concrete doesn't flex, okay. But the fiberglass might, okay. I'll put some links up tonight for those who don't know. And you watch this thing falling. It landed, it, they, they put stoplights underneath the bridge. And there were cars stopped there waiting for a green light when the darn thing fell on them. It's so disgusting. But I, I thought that this is idiocracy. We're, idi- we're in an idiocracy. We're here. We really are here. Amongst all the fanfare of all the different people who, from the beginning, even in the university and different departments and different other things in the department, who designed this thing. It's a big PR pr- promotional thing. From, they were there from the very beginning involved in the university to design this thing. I thought, oh my God, eh? here we are. Eh? It reminded me too, today, just looking over all the media today, with the perversions that are now lauded as normal all over the world. Getting worse, actually. I mean, I mentioned before about uh, how free, we're, we're so free we can strip off in public and, 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 and what? Well, guess what you do then, eh? And this is now normal in different countries. At one time, you used to try and protect children from seeing stuff like that. Now they want to show the children this stuff and teach it in schools from the age of five. Right would be wrong, wrong would be right. Everything would be turned upside down. And again, going back to the old biblical idea that they put in Revelation and other places too, in that old Bible. Because, you see, things had been done before. And that's why the big boys know techniques. What's worked in the past, like Plato said, you can reintroduce it again any time and the same formula and it'll work again. People will behave the same way if you introduce it properly. Like formats, you see. And it does. Fascinating. But yeah, I thought back to, you know, idiocracy. Here we are. And everything in idiocracy was to do with sex. Everything was chaotic, falling apart, nothing worked properly. Folk could hardly speak anymore to each other. They spent their time, as they called it, baiting, watching stuff on TV and doing certain things. They called it baiting. And they had all that, so they were free. But everything was falling apart. And I thought, that's where we are now. It really is, isn't it? And it's not it's not a new idea. I mean, this was that that was at the head of the Rev- World Revolutionary Party in eighteen hundreds and onwards into communism. It was so bad. I mean, they had women brought in to the Bolshevik Party, who would teach the first generation. That was the idea, and they even set up departments on on all things about sex and and etc. And they wanted to eliminate marriage. That was initially what they wanted, but with, with even in Lenin's time. They had to change it completely opposite and fire all those people because the chaos was incredible. Nothing was working amongst people anymore. They couldn't even cooperate with male and female anymore. 
the children were all getting aborted. They knew they'd eventually run out of a crop if they didn't have, have breeding going on. And so they had to start to bring back marriage. And a lot of the revolutionaries left the party in the Soviet Union, the early Soviet Union, and came back across different countries in Europe. It's quite amazing to read it all and understand it. Well documented, though, who, who the, the different people were. And even, as I've mentioned before, the well-known ones, even in Britain, who, some of them were, who were poets, were members of the Revolutionary Party, too, and they talked about it, too. And right up to H.G. Wells, that idea, too. It wasn't his idea, this free love thing. No, that was part of the revolutionary movements of the time. And H.G. Wells at least knew that, that his benefactors, those who, who he worked for, were multi-millionaires, this is in today's terms, multi-billionaires. So forget all this whole idea of the workers this and the workers that. They've always been conned. They've always been fooled. And it's just amazing to me that all these, the top communists, even in Britain and elsewhere, often end up being millionaires themselves. None of them were ever working people. They all went through the universities and so on, often very privileged universities. I gave some articles last week about that too. They called the blue blood uh, revolutionaries or communists in Britain who got titles and so on. It's quite amazing, isn't it? How we're taught one thing, but the reality is a different thing altogether. It generally is, actually. But yeah, you've got to see idiocracy and see what you think of that. Now, I mentioned a few articles here just to tie in maybe what I'm saying or not. I don't know. Because I tend to prattle on. And by the way, they're even pulling my sites down. One of my sites has been pulled uh, for the last couple of weeks and uh, can't even get in to, to see what's going on. Nothing was sent just to say why it was pulled or anything else. It was just done. But uh, yeah. Locked out of it, that's it. Now, back to what we're talking about here. An article here is um, called Curiouser and Curiouser, and it's from the UK column in, in Britain. See, there's another, there's phases you go through, and stages you go through. You go stage at one stage, get the people used to this one stage, then you, you can up the ante to the next stage, and so on. That's how simple the things are. Anyway, it says, uh, says here that paedophile networks and the children's rights movement. It's on about Peter Newell, I mentioned him before who shares a name with the illustrator of Alice in Wonderland, is a convicted paedophile. In this article, she attempt to follow the Warren-like network of his connections to the children's rights movement. I gave talks on that quite a few weeks back on this particular guy as well. And how he'd been caught uh, way up at the United Nations and all the rest of it too, with all the accolades forever about how wonderful he is. He pled guilty on the 2nd January uh, to two charges of serious sexual assault between May 1966 and May 1968. And I guarantee you, when it comes down to two charges, they've been, they've been knocking them down and knocking them down. It comes get some, some kind of arrangement, obviously. And to three charges of indecent assault. I don't know what the difference is. Between May 1965 and May 1968, he was jailed for six years and eight months. The case was reported in the mainstream press, well, some of the mainstream press. And that's true, everything. It's just the reason many folk are on board with this whole agenda, you know. And again, it's from United Nations to and right down. It's not new either. It's quite a variety of headlines, although only a Daily Mail headline really gets at the significance of the case. This was not just another in a long and depressing line of paedophiles convicted decades after offending began. This was a key in the children's rights movement. And his work has shaped both the legislation and the culture currently, arrayed against the traditional family. And then they go into a closer look into it all. They mentioned the different uh, organizations, such as this one here, Children Are Unbeatable. That's an alliance of organizations and children seeking legal reform to give children the same protection under the law on assault as adults and prom- promoting positive nonviolent discipline. And it goes on and on and on about Peter Newell and how he was interviewed in 2004 by third sectors, John Plummer. And he even admitted during the thing that a lot of the things he was pushing, like stopping banning children from being smacked and so on, he said, I find, I find the subject deeply boring. This is the hero who gets all the accolades for, uh, for his having his name at the top. But he himself said this in an interview. I find the subject deeply boring, he says. This is Peter Newell, who is the coordinator of the Children Are Unbeatable Alliance. There's no intellectual stimulation in it, he says. But having started the campaign, I can't stop now. So there you go. There's, there's the kind of characters that get up there. And then you get this one here. The abusers behind the idea that children have a gender identity. It's an interesting article. 
And you can't talk about this thing much anymore because you, you don't realize that the army that's out there of, of well-financed organizations and people to bring all this, this next step in to society. And it's quite easy to bring in, actually, now, when you, when you realize that a lot of the adults... I mean, look at... I mentioned Mardi Gras in Australia. It was a, few, a couple of weeks ago. And put the links up to the, the pictures. You see, you got to see them. And they're having all these other things all over the world. And then today in Australia, they've got St. Patrick's Day. And you've got to see this one, too. They've they got women there with nothing on and underneath, basically. This is, this is the age... I mean, look at the age group. This is, these are the ones now about coming out of university or in university age, including the ones who are on the, the beach in Florida, too, there within the amazing photographs, too, during the spring break. And look at all that stuff. That's the generation doing what they were doing, going through the motions on the beach that they saw being raised up, raised up, the first generation raised up with much music television and the videos. They're doing exactly where they were coached from childhood up to the present. It's interesting you study that and see it happening. It's quite amazing. And the exact motions to see on these music, these these videos, they're all emulating. Quite, quite astonishing. On the beach, it works so well, doesn't it? But anyway, this article here also talks about Pierre Newell. The second article here, he goes into what was up up behind him too, and how they pushed the idea of gender identity. It's quite an old article. There's old articles here here of the guys who really started this whole movement long ago. It's quite amazing how they, how they do it. John William Money, his, his name is, 84-year-old, 2006, he died. And he's the guy who did sexual identity research, and he put out a lot of the, the bogus stuff to get it started. He wasn't the first guy to, to push all this, but he was the first, because you can go into even before, into the 1930s in Germany, and you'll find it in Berlin, when the guy there had the... Had he a museum of sexuality, and he, he brought a lot down on his head and other people's too. But anyway, William Money helped found the field of sexual identity studies. Psychologist John Hopkins University for over 50 years. In the 1950s, it was considered a, a case of a sexual ambiguity. It's almost have hermaphroditic is talking about. Yes, how they start things. Start it here, then move on to whatever you want. So you start it with, with, with the occasional, occasional, Hermaphrodite, where they have, they have the uh, genitals of both in the one body. And often one, it doesn't work, one doesn't work, you know. Or the, and generally under, you know, it's, it's not fully developed either. But anyway, it says here, he, he called oddities glitches, the natural order, etc. He challenged assumptions, providing a systematic theory for understanding how sexual identity developed, he argued that social and environmental cues interacted with a child's genes. And that was, that's never changed. That, that, was, that Before he came along, it was the old communist idea when the early psychologists were promote, going to promote social change in society by using psychology as a, as a front, basically, to try and make folk think it was all legit. Anyway, so, yeah, I was trying to say, was, is it nurture, basically, or nature? He said, that's the old thing you'll often hear. He was the first scientist to provide a language to describe the psychological dimensions of human sexual identity. He eventually came out with a study, supposedly, on one, one person who he claims there was sexual confusion in, in this child. So he advised they be changed to one thing. I think it was a, a girl. I'm trying to find the actual article here. Yeah, it says, after consulting with Dr. Mooney in 66, the appearance of a young boy whose penis had been destroyed, and here you go, in a botched circumcision. And that happens too, by the way. They don't, folk don't like to talk about this, you know. Decided to raise the son as a girl. In 1973, Dr. Money reported that the child who had been castrated and furnished with dresses and dolls was doing well, and accepted the new identity as a girl. And that's how he made his name too, in the 70s. But it goes on. And by 1997... A report in the archives of the Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine. Pierre Satcher provided a detailed follow-up of the boy who had repudiated his female identity at the age of 14 and even had surgery to, to reconstruct his genitals. The report caused an uproar. Dr. Money was criticized. I guess Money actually is a good name for me. In news reports and a book on the case. See how they, they, they lie, though. They lie. They see how well they're doing. In 2004, the man they, they talked about 
who'd been changed and then went back to mail and all that, who'd claimed his sex committed suicide, which is pretty common too. And the family blamed the effort to change his sex. I, I preferred the gender and to sex. And Dr. Money was mortified by the case, his colleague said, and as a rule did not discuss it. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> he put his whole theory out the window. How well they're doing, or this guy was doing, and all that. And it goes on, and on this article, it's, it's not bad, actually. It doesn't make any difference to society, and I'm not even talking about this to me. What I'm showing you is, all I'm showing you, really, is not to complain about it. I'm just showing you what happens, and how, how everything that's happening was planned that way. And at the top, too, they want this kind of thing to be accepted, all kinds of changes, including sterilization, because they bring down the population of the whole planet, eventually. This is what they want, eventually. Also, this one here, too, on the Met Opera. Uh, interesting here, in, in, the, in New York here. Met Opera fires longtime conductor James Levine, who's 74, for sexually abusing and harassing young male musicians. And listening, running mutual masturbation sessions with his students. Now, I know he was a conductor, but I mean, what, do you have to really do this just to get the timing of the orchestra working? I really don't know. I've never heard this type before. But I'm not kidding. This, can you, you can't even imagine this. Can, I can. An investigation found evidence of his sexual abuse and harassment dating back to the 1960s, all that way back. Several men have come forward claiming that they suffered abuse from Levine while they were teenagers or his students. One account reveals that Levine asked several of his followers to wear blindfolds and mutually masturbate one another. So, you know, I put this article up too, just to show you. But that's not new. All this stuff is promoted at the very top at United Nations as well. And then you get, um, I'll put it up to United Nations' plan to teach masturbation to five-year-olds. That was, they actually talked about communal masturbation for schools. You'd all be in the classroom. You know, everything on this planet manages to breed without all these lessons. Do you really think it's what they tell you it's for? Do you really think that? Of course it's not. It's to promote different things and big changes. So she'll, lots of sex, but don't have offspring is the whole point of it all. Same with changing genders and just don't have children. That's the whole point of all. Then you get um, this article too. Remember that time Bill Clinton fired his Surgeon General. Remember that one? For encouraging masturbation education. Joycelyn Elder is wanting to be taught in schools as well. Literally, they'd all do it in school in the class. That came out at the time. Put that up as well. 1994. It's, it's quite amazing. All this stuff. So I'll put some articles up on all of this. For those who care, I mean, to me, it's, I, I just study all this, a big, a big social study on, and human engineering, basically. All of it. Richard Dawkins suggests eating human flesh could overcome cannibalism taboo. That, that follows after Joycelyn Elders, who, who talked about people should just get over this abortion problem, like especially Catholics. Just get over it. And then Dawkins, another secular humanist, telling you that eating human flesh to overcome cannibalism taboo. So if you eat human meat, as they call it, it might just get you over it, just in the independent newspaper. The benefits of lab-grown clean meat, he says. So if you eat lab-grown human meat, uh, it, might have a, it might help you get, get used to the whole idea, you know. Yeah. Anything get the name in the papers, eh, these characters? Because there's nothing else to tell you that's of any, any, any good at all. And also, too, in Australia, you have fences and turnstiles at Bondi Beach. The grim prediction for Australia, call to cap migrant intake as population. This is the whole point. The population of, of the whole of Australia, the population, eh, whoa. As intake population hurtles toward 25 million people. Oh, there you go. See, most folk over there live around on the coast. The interior is like a, a cauldron, basically. So it's a big, big country, big continent. You live around, around where it's a bit cooler near the beaches, etc. So they want, they want to cap immigration numbers. And it says that Melbourne and Sydney are struggling with the strain of migration. And as I say, that, that's an article there. Then look, look, look at the Australian version of uh, St. Patrick's Day. It's just astonishing. Look at the pictures. Just like idiocracy. As we're down the tubes. 
It were managed so well, though, as we go down the tubes. You have as much sex as you want. Just don't have any offspring. There you go. Don't have any offspring. It, it, to me, it's just amazing. And I'll put up the one about the bridge, too, that fell. 950-ton pedestrian bridge. Isn't that terrible? The poor souls that were in, they got killed there. Poor souls. A bridge that, honestly, should never have been built. Not, not with that design. Just days after it was installed, this new revolutionary way of doing it all. And that's how, that's how things are done, eh? But I'll put all these links up. There's a lot on, uh, on the sexual things. I say, isn't it amazing they always bring the same routines around as you're going down the tubes, have as much sex as you want. It's, you know. As I say, I, I don't do what I do because it's... Uh, you want to change anybody. You might change a few individuals. That's all I even started with, to try and make people think for themselves. The, the ones who are capable of really and want to think for themselves. And they can maybe avoid pitfalls as they go through life, possibly for themselves. Because there's so much deception out there. And it's getting worse all the time with the things that are being promoted. And we're being dehumanized. And as we go along with being dehumanized, and even participate in it with abortions and, and everything else, eventually we'll come in, well, you've lived till you're 50 or 60. Why don't you just take this pill and die? That's been discussed already, by the way. Believe it or not. And again, Australia's a, like a guy in, who's always on the, that gets on the tube in Australia, well connected, obviously, who keeps pushing this kind of stuff to get his name in the papers, but also as part of the agenda. Why don't you just work to a certain amount of time and then die? The ordered planned society, the Soviet system, which really took off in the West more so, I would say, than the Soviet Union with all of its theories and implementations. Right down to the sexual revolution that the Soviets had to turn their backs on because it was destructive to the country. And they had to come right back to copying the West. While the West then was going the opposite direction, as Besmanov said, the defector, the cultural revolutionary system, had worked so well in the West. He said that they were blown away, the Soviets were blown away, when they came over and saw how well the destruction of the culture had worked. Because it was planned. That's my little prattle for today. For those who want to know and who care to look into it, it's interesting. You might not have many people to share it with. You might not have, have people in your area who even want to hear it. You probably know that. I see, but for yourself, it's good to know these things, how, how things really happen, why they happen, and right down to organizations and so on that are behind all, for those who really need to know. And some people need to know these things. Many don't. But some people really need to know. It keeps, it gets you sane if you're not sane before it. And once you are sane, it does. It certainly keeps you sane. Think about it. And when you're in company, just live inside your head, because you'll have to, as we go through a system now, which is analysing everything you say, how you say it, because it's becoming ruthless and totalitarian as we go along. And free speech is definitely not to be encouraged or allowed for much longer in most countries. They're looking at folk up in other countries already, in Europe, for trying to even use, not even uh, against the laws, but just to voice their opinion on something. Not even with anger, just to voice an opinion. It's not allowed in different areas. But you can have as much sex as you want. You can have all kinds of, of uh, big, big special do's, and you can strip off all your clothes, and that's fine too. And they're pushing, of course, for what they call intergenerational sex, get the children involved, etc., etc., etc. But just, just don't have offspring. Don't breed. Do everything else, but don't, anything and everything, but don't breed. That's the message. And the big masters of the world, and we do have masters of the world, are showing that their paid henchmen and groups and organizations that they're now completely intolerant of any other opinion. So be careful out there. They used to say that on the, on the Hill Street Blues, the, 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 the big series on television. It was awfully popular. They introduced to the, to, to the Western world, in fact, via a, a TV series, that they would, you really needed SWAT teams everywhere in the streets and all over the place, blah, 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 to get us used to the whole ideas of it all. 
because we're getting programmed all the time. But they used to always say there during the, the, the briefing for the police, be careful out there, it's a jungle. From myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, this good night. May your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>